All right. Welcome back to For Your Ears Only, which I think this is the first time I've actually called this podcast that name. It is the podcast where me, Zach Brooks, am joined by James Bond expert Mac Johnson to talk through each of the James Bond movies as I watch, mostly watch, a couple of them are rewatches, all of the James Bond movies. So tonight, Mac is back and we are talking about the Timothy Dalton era James Bond movies. Mac, you ready to talk some Bond? I'm ready. Let's do it. It has been a while since we talked. Uh, <laughs> it's, it is not for lack of me not watching the movies because our last podcast where we talked about almost all of the Roger Moore movies, that was the third one in our series, uh, that was on September 25th. I watched the two Tim- Timothy Dalton movies by October 1st, and it is now January 22nd. Well, I'm going to I'll remind you that I asked if you wanted to record about yes. within a week of you watching License to Kill. It was within a week. Yeah. And you and I just I said, happened I'm to have a free yeah. night. Yeah, and you said you were tired. We'll do it again soon. Meanwhile, a lot has happened in the world since then, honestly. But uh You know what? Uh we a lot's happened. Bond I don't know if Bond has gotten delayed twice since we last recorded, but at least once cuz uh, No yeah. Time to Die just got delayed again. Again, yeah. For I mean, I hopefully for the best because it needs to make money. Well, yeah, you you you've said you want to see it in the theaters, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen almost everyone in the theaters. That well, um, all, yeah, all well, all of them since. Uh, we're, we're today we're talking about the last ones that I didn't see in the theater. So all the Brosnans and Craigs yeah. I've seen in the theater. So I want to be able to to close out that run, you know. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, and. Um... It, you know, it gives us more time. Although the problem with more time is then we're just like, well, yeah, we'll record later. We'll record later. When we started this podcast way back at the beginning of 2020, uh, I believe it was January of 2020. It was a, all right, we got to get this done by April. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, then the pace slowed down considerably when it got moved off of April to the fall and then got moved from the fall to, was it supposed to come out this April? Was that when it was? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be April 3rd, I think. Yeah. So and now it's pushed back until what was now it? now I have so much time that yeah I can rewatch um I can rewatch all of the Bond movies all twenty four of them it's become a really ironic title no time to die just... yeah plenty of time to catch yeah. up um so if you are catching up on James Bond movies because you realize you have all this time welcome uh, hopefully you go back and listen to our other discussions this one is going to be a little bit more focused because it's only going to be on two movies it's the fewest movies that we've talked about. That's right. Yeah. Cause we didn't, we combined. Yeah. So we're doing uh yeah. So our first one, we did the Sean Connery movies. Then we did a three movie sandwich of Lazenby Connery's return in the first Roger Moore. And then our last one was our biggest, which I think was five movies that we talked about. Uh, uh, that would have been six, six right? We talked about the man with the golden girl yeah. gun spy who loved me Moonraker for your eyes only and view to kill. So five movies. What about octopusy? Oh yeah, Octopussy. Yeah, the one we just title. didn't talk about it. Just... <laughs> that one we'll get on the rewatch. Yeah, that's so. gonna get its own pod. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's see if there's I'm trying to think if there's anything else like general to talk about. Um, I did have an idea for this podcast moving forward. We have a couple ideas, but I have one for the bond portion of this podcast moving forward. On air production meeting. Yeah. What if we commit on air for all of our listeners to once a month, we do this podcast. So February, we're doing the Brosnan movies. March, we're doing the Daniel Craig movies. And then by April, when <laughs> No Time to Die was supposed to come out, we could do something else. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right. 
I'm holding you to that. We'll see if, but I think that as long as we just pick a date and yeah, you know, this one, we put it on the Google calendar and you can't yeah, say I, no. I, when I, the meeting's on the Google yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. You're right. Cause every other time it's been like a spur of the moment. Hey, you want to do it right now? Okay. Right. And we've always got stuff going on and mm-hmm. well, you always, I don't really have much going on. You have stuff going on. I mean, uh, yeah, it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody is here to listen to us talk about Timothy Dalton. Uh, I went back and I watched both of these movies over these last couple of days because I definitely would not have been able to remember what happens in uh, The Living Daylights and Licensed Kill had I not done that. Um, you warned me when I first started watching, you said you should watch them on different nights because they could blend together. Well, also like, yeah, you don't, I don't know. I feel like if you watch them both at the same time, yeah, it, it's they'll either they'll, I mean, they've got a very different style. I feel like there's, there's a lot of contrast between them and it's good to like, let the first one sit before you watch the second one. Yeah. Um, they are, I mean, and so this time, well, both times, I guess I watched them within a day of each other and they are much very different in tone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, living day, they're both very eighties, but um, living daylights is a lot more silly license to kill right off the bat. It is pretty dark. I feel yeah. Like. And I think the reason for that um, is just because when the Living Daylights was in the works, um, they didn't, for most of the time, they didn't know who was playing Bond. Mm. There was, you know, in the earliest days, you know, there was maybe an off chance that Roger Moore was going to return. Allegedly, he decided to finally hang it up after A View to a Kill when he found out that his co-star, Tanya Roberts, who sadly passed away recently, actually, um, Mm that her mom was younger than him and he's like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) Uh, So, but in the earliest days, they, they maybe were, you know, had more in mind. So that could be why you have some more of the humor in this one. And then uh, famously, you know, uh, Pierce Brosnan had been cast and everything was kind of done. I don't, they maybe hadn't signed the final paperwork, but it was like, he was James Bond and it was, you know, in the papers that he was going to play Bond. And, uh, he got he was not able at the last minute to get out of his Remington Steel TV contract, uh, which the show had been canceled. So he was going to be free for Bond. And then I don't know if it's that like I can't remember what it, it may have been his profile rose because of the Bond casting or something happened in the TV world where um, they decided to bring the show back not even for a full season, I think for just for some TV movies. So it wasn't even like a big commitment for him, but it kept him from being able to take the role because the bond producers didn't want someone who was simultaneously starring in a bond like TV show. So he had the role and lost it. And, uh, and then they finally end up with Timothy Dalton who had been the runner up to him and had, you know, been considered back. I think when Roger Moore took over, uh, when he would have been very young, but, um, it's. It, I think the production was probably so up in the air that they kind of hedged their bets and made it like a very, like at least in tone, very generic Bond. It's got, you know, I feel like the, the, the plot and the story have, have a lot of great stuff in them, but like just the, the general tone of like kind of the, the dad jokes and the humor and all that, mm-hmm. like it wasn't specifically tailored to any particular Bond. So Dalton's kind of working against his strengths in that one. And then when License to Kill comes around, they they know who he is. They know what he's good with. And they're like, okay, we can go a little bit darker. We can go more serious. This is like, this is what, you know, Dalton is good at. 
Yeah. And um, I much preferred, well, not much preferred. I like them both, but uh, I liked License to Kill better. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's definitely the more interesting movie. It's a little bit easier to follow. The Living Daylights, I feel like it just has so many turns and, and turncoats in it. And yeah, um, the plot is very twisty turny. It doesn't yeah, make a lot of sense. No, I mean, it's even watching it twice. And, you know, I had like sort of forgotten a little bit about it after all these months, but um, it's, it was, a, it was a still a little bit harder to follow. And um, there's a yeah. lot of villains and a lot of fake villains in Living, Living Daylights. Yeah. And it's, so when I, I've, my, my views on the, the Dalton movies have changed a little bit as I've gotten older. When I was a kid, I was 100% licensed to kill. I liked better. I think, I think part of it was because, you know, I had spent a few months watching all these movies and this was at the time, the last one you could get because Goldeneye mm-hmm. was in theaters, you know, or it was just about to come out on video or whatever. So like license to kill was the newest one. So it was the last one I was watching. I, I think I didn't watch them in order. I just got whatever was available at the video store, but like, I'm pretty sure I watched that one last and it was just, it, it had like, it felt so different and it felt like, like a harder edge. And, you know, it, it as a 12 year old feels more adult. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like it, it it's, uh, yeah, that stuff is a little more cringy to me, but, uh, at the time, like I was like, that's what I, that's what I dug. This and is living daylights you're talking about. No, no license to kill. Oh, I scary. liked, yeah, yeah. yeah. I liked the darker edge. I liked the, you know, it, it felt a little more real, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for whatever reason, as I've gotten older, I've, I've kind of leaned more towards living daylights where now I think if you look at my letterbox, I have that one a few spots above. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a more uneven movie, the living daylights. And like I said before, I don't think it's like, it's that well tailored to Timothy Dalton's strengths, but there's just a lot I really like about it. And so I, it's, I don't know, it's like greater than the sum of its parts almost. Whereas License to Kill is is cool and I like it, but it's got like, it feels very 80s. It feels very Miami Vice, right? Like it definitely has a Miami Vice feel to it, yep. And we've talked before about how the Bond movies every once in a while will tend to take something from popular culture that's been big and kind of ape it and do their style on it. Like, you know, you've like, we had the star Wars bond and the black exploitation bond and all this stuff. And, right. and we'll get to some other ones later. Uh, I, I am curious as we get into the nineties and two thousands, how, how that starts to fit in because I've seen all of the Brosnan ones that I have not seen all the Daniel Craig ones, but the Brosnan ones are the ones I'm the most familiar with. So the next podcast will be interesting because these are all going to be rewatches. Yeah. Um, especially Goldeneye and, um, I think the world is not enough for the two I've seen the most of that okay. grouping. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's, we'll get into it then. There's definitely some, I think some contemporary influences on those movies. Um, mm-hmm. one in particular, but, um, but yeah, with license to kill, it was like, you know, they were into Miami vice. They were into like, you know, like everything in eighties was about cocaine. Right. Yeah. Like it was, it's, it's a weird mission for bond. Right. Because it's like, you don't send bond after drug dealers. That's like a little below his pay grade, but he, he stumbles into the mission accidentally. Right. right. That's Felix lighter stuff. That's not. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Yeah. And speaking of Felix, we've got, we got two Felixes yes. in this, uh, Dalton gets two Felixes and they couldn't be more different. Right. Like 
<laughs> it's so funny because I think the first time I watched through, I messaged you and I said, uh, oh, wow, Felix has gotten a lot older in the last day. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's played and I didn't even in the living daylights. I knew he looked familiar, but I also I think I was so focused on how bad his acting was <laughs> in living daylights that I did not realize until very late into that movie that that version of Felix is played by John Terry. Yes. who plays Christian Shepherd on Lost. That's how I know him the best. And he's great on Lost. He's really good on that. And he is very not good in The Living Daylights. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, it's not like he had a ton to work with. No, he, he didn't, he wasn't barely in the movie. That's what I noticed the second time around. He's really, I, mean, I think he, much. I think he pours Bond at Jim Beam or something, which, you he know, does. Yep. fine for you and me, but I, I feel like, I feel like 007 was not into that. He does uh, not want brown, brown water. Yeah, one of the things um, I was wondering is, does Bond drink vodka or gin martinis? Oh, gin? it's a vodka, vodka. Martini. Well, okay. So, well, typically, yeah, the line that he says is vodka martini shaken, not stirred, right? Mm. Uh, however, there's a signature martini that is from the books, which I don't believe is introduced in any of the movies you've seen so far, but will show up later. And it's it has both. It has vodka and gin in it. So, um you know, buckle your seatbelts for that one. Get ready for that later. Oh, man. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a vodka guy typically. Although, and we get the return of the vodka martini with Dalton because uh, Moore never orders one. He, that was one of his things was that he was trying to uh, separate himself from Connery. So he's like, I'm not going to do the vodka martinis. I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. He smokes cigars mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh He's there's one scene where he gets a vodka martini shaken out stirred. He doesn't order it himself. Uh, Triple X orders it for him in The Spy Who Loved Me. And that's just because she's going through saying all the stuff that she knows about him. But like he himself never orders one in his seven movies. What about Lazenby? Does he order one in uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service? I believe he does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I do feel like having watched the Dalton movies, and I, again, much like with Lazenby, I was expecting. Dalton to not be a great Bond. I thought he was really, did a really good job, but it's kind of what I picture when I think of James Bond, the yeah, look that he has about him. And I feel like it's similar. Him and Brosnan are very similar in my eyes. Like they they have a very similar look and tone. Yeah, they do. They've got like the like the tall, dark look, mm-hmm. you know, which is, a, you know, different from Moore, who is a little more fair haired and a little, uh, right. I don't know. Much less, different than, less edgy. Much different than Daniel Craig will be. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going back to Felix for a second. We've got the first uh, return Felix with David Hedison in License to Kill because he was um, Roger Moore's only Felix because there was only one Felix Leiter in the Roger Moore movies, which was in his first one, uh, Live and Let Die. And so you've got like 1973. And then he shows up again in 1989, obviously much older. Yeah, but he's very old. The, yeah. Until until the current era, which we won't talk about yet, but it's the first time someone has played Felix twice. Do you prefer when these movies have more continuity, like the same actor playing the same role, um, or do you like when they change it up a lot? I so I like I like continuity like generally, but there is a fun aspect of the Bond movies, which is just their like weird kind of uh disregard of continuity with with strange stuff i know like we've talked about this uh offline before but like it's so weird that they were so like you know the continuity between 
like basically the MI6 staff, right? Of like M and Q and Money Penny was so strong. Mm-hmm. And you've got you've got Q going from Connery through Brosnan, you know, and you've got M who you know is is uh, you've had two M's so far uh, when you get to to Dalton. But then characters like Felix Leiter and Blofeld, they just didn't give a shit. And it no. was like it, it's just funny. And, and in back to back movies, like back to back to back, mm-hmm. like they'll have three movies in a row, with three <laughs> different Blofelds that are nothing alike, and. Yeah. I would love to have had one Blofeld who was like the definitive guy that, you know, you got to see that relationship uh, kind of progress through the movies, but it's also just kind of fun and weird that they didn't do that. So, cause then you get to compare them. And I think the, I think the changing of actors sometimes though is hard. If you're not a super fan of these movies, mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention to every line, I mean, there's a lot of characters in these movies. There's a lot of weird names to remember. So if you're not really paying attention, well, you might not realize that this is the supposed to be the same character as the character who was played by John Terry in the last movie. Or, or if you haven't seen, if you've only, yeah. if you saw Living Daylights in 86, what year did it come out? 86? Um, 87. 87. So if you saw Living Daylights in the theater in 87 and then didn't think about it at all for two years yeah. and then License to Kill came out two years later, like, and you maybe if you haven't seen all of the Bond movies, like if you're not a super fan of this series right? and you don't have, it's 1989, you don't have Wikipedia at your disposal to look at some of this stuff, you might just not realize some of the, the characters that show up between. Yeah. And I think that's kind of part of why they were comfortable doing that because this was like most of these movies came out even in the pre home video era. Like obviously in the eighties is the, you know, the rise of VHS, but most of these movies came out before then when you're only seeing these in the theater or when they're, uh, when they're being uh, re-released in theaters or when they come on TV. So it's not mm-hmm. like you're going to sit there and binge watch them. You know, right. it's, so it's, it, I think they had more leeway back then for that kind of stuff. And you're not um, watching with closed captioning on also, which I think especially with some of the character names in this, that closed yeah. captioning is definitely helpful. Uh, speaking of character continuity, one thing we didn't talk about at the end of the Moore era, but kind of continues into Dalton, is the M switch. And uh, we have Bernard Lee, who had been the original M from Dr. No up uh through i think moonraker is his last uh and then he's replaced by robert brown um we've got for your eyes only which uh did not have an m they had no m in that movie and then mm. and then in uh living daylights no not living, i'm sorry uh, view to a kill that's when robert brown shows up as the new m and they don't the weird thing is like it's never mentioned it's never like remarked upon that there's a new m so is it like the question is, is it a new character who has inherited the role of M or is it the same character played by a different actor? And the reason that makes it more difficult to answer that question is because Robert Brown had already played a naval admiral in The Spy Who Loved Me. And he's not like he's not like a cameo. It's like he's a you know, he's one of the admirals at the beginning when Bond is getting his mission and it's a you know semi-prominent role and so for him to show up a few movies later as m like is it that bernard lee's character died or retired and he was replaced by uh robert brown's character who was promoted to who like he's promoted to m play or are they doing what they've done with a lot of other movies and they're having the same actor because they've had plenty of actors play multiple roles in the bond series Mm -hmm. are they pulling one of those and it's the same m so uh 
Bernard Lee's uh, M is his real name was Miles Messervy, uh, hence the M. Mm. So is he playing Miles Messervy or is he Admiral? I think it was Admiral Hargreaves or Hargrove. Hargreaves, I think. Is it Admiral Hargreaves that has been promoted to M? And there's no answer because they never really have said officially, but it's just one of those nerdy things you can think about. I think that if you're going to say James Bond is a code name, then you could say M is a code name. But if (laughs) you say M is literally a code name, (laughs) (laughs) we've had multiple M's now. Um, Spoiler alert for the Brosnan era. Right. I do know that Judy Dench is going to be M. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, in my mind, it's just them sloppy with the casting. Right. It's that's probably what it was. Yeah. And also back then there was no precedent for M passing from one character to another. Mm-hmm. Like officially now there is once Judy Dench shows up, but back then, like there was no, like there was no official word. Is that a code name or is it just this one guy is called M? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't yeah. know. I, I meant to bring that up last time and I totally forgot. But, yeah. I did have a note that you wanted to bring something up about M when we talked about this. So. I there can capture go. that Done. for not. Um, yeah, for me, I have facial blindness when it comes to M. So, like, you've asked <laughs> me about M, and I'm just like, wait, ha- that was the same actor this whole time? Like, Q, I can recognize, but M yeah. is just Balding like, British white guys. Yeah, it like, just looks, I mean, to me, like, he looks very generic. And yeah, I, I, you it, could, I mean, even when I'm watching this movie, I was like, I think that's M, but it also could be just like somebody else who works at MI6. And same thing with License to Kill, too. Yeah. Um, it's well i mean you've only seen the movies once also except for twice your, now your watch of dalton yeah yeah but uh it, you know it's i have the benefit of having seen them way too many times and right about yeah, it way too much, i mean in like all of these stats i i can see mac on the zoom that we're on and all of these stats that mac is uh talking about like he's he's not pulling up notes he's his hands are back he's not no. googling wikipedia like he's just spewing off these stats <laughs> I've, I've sadly done zero prep for this except yeah my life <laughs> right <laughs> exactly yeah you were built for this um <laughs> all right but we well, get uh so we got we have a new m now right yeah from from the last more, more movie but now that dalton has taken over uh lois maxwell has left as money penny but we keep the same cue so they change money penny and i you know it's i, I mean lois maxwell obviously was i don't know if it's that they decide that like they don't want bond hitting on like his grandmother <laughs> or because it like is, you know, Dalton is a much tamer bond, I feel like, than more in terms of uh, uh, kind of womanizing. Mm-hmm. But he definitely he's like even almost creepier with Money Penny in, in the Living Daylights. Like he, he just like he literally just like slaps her ass at one point. You're like, that's not very Dalton. Right. Well, and um, the MI6 location in Living Daylights is much different than what we've had before, too. I mean, it used to be like a more of an office looking um, and this is like a bunker, like this is like a so very concrete bunker. M's office is the same, but there's like the, uh, Q branch looks a lot more high tech and a mm. lot like, yeah, it's there. There's a new set for a Q branch, but money penny has a desk in Q branch in this one. Doesn't she isn't, or is she just helping? I think she's there? just help. I think she's just down there helping. Okay. She just wanted to be where James is. Cause that bunker area reminds me a lot of what we're going to get in golden eye. Like yeah. that room reminds me of yes. like where, where Boris would be sitting in front of a computer. So not yep. to, not to spoil the movies that are not on this podcast, but that, that was the vibes <laughs> I got from that area. And, and Q's office in GoldenEye is going to have that kind of vibe as well. that mm-hmm. carries through. It's got like, a little, it's a little differently designed, but yeah, it's, um, but M's office is the same still with the, with, you know, the paintings and the, and the 
leather quilted door and everything. Yeah, I guess I'm just used to Bond walking into the room outside of M's office and like Money Penny's his... office. Yeah. yeah, and like throwing his hat. Well, like, is it Money Penny's office or is it like the waiting room? It's Money Penny's to... office. Yeah, you have to walk it, I mean, it's through. Both. It's both. Yeah, you have yeah. to walk through Money Penny's office to get to right. M's office. Um, is Q short for like you said? M is short for something. Is Q short for something? Yeah, Q is short for quartermaster. So basically, the guy who supplies you with your weapons. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, like a, there's a kind of old fashioned term now. There's a great deli in New Orleans called Quartermaster. They're open till 4 a.m. It's a great spot to go after you've been out drinking on Bourbon Street. Check out Quartermaster. Oh, do they want to be a sponsor? I, I would love to for Quarter. I hope the Quartermaster is <laughs> podcast. brought to you by Quartermaster. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. So the Living Daylights, which we're not going to go like plot details, but I do want you to talk about this opening scene. So the cold opens obviously is a staple of the Bond movies. Uh, this cold open, and it made a little bit more sense the second time, but we're getting basically a training exercise that's been infiltrated by Russian spies. Is that? Yeah, okay. by assassins. Yeah, that are, I mean, as happens in pretty much every Bond movie, it's like they're po- like they're Russian, but they're like, Russia's not the bad guy. Like mm-hmm. there's this, I, I think we might've talked about it last time, but there's this, uh, I guess, kind of common thought of like, Oh, Bond was always fighting the Russians. And if you watch any of those movies, he never actually fights. the. It's always someone who's like a rogue general or like a, some sort of like, uh, they're, they're tricking you into thinking it's the Russians when really right. it's just like some psycho. So it's, it's that situation again, but but yeah. Well, in this one, especially because then Pushkin seems like Pushkin is the villain and Pushkin actually right. ends up working with Bond and uh, faking his own death. And that Pushkin, uh, from what I remember, was originally going to be General Gogol, who we've seen throughout the Moore movies, you know, who was the the head of um, the KGB throughout the Moore series, you know, showing up in The Spy Who Loved Me and pretty much almost every Moore movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost he, he's there and he's usually kind of like the adversary slash ally you know uh m equivalent and it was going to be him but walter gotel who played him i guess was in bad health at the time and just they, so he's in the movie you know they show him he's like a cultural like uh head of like cultural mystery of culture or something like mm. that he's no longer with kgb so he's got a little cameo at the end and he's mentioned at the beginning that pushkin has taken his role um but it was originally going to be him okay and yeah gogol i remember being in a bunch of the um in the roger moore movies was mm-hmm. he in all of them basically no i mean he's not he's not in the first few he's not in live and let die he's not in the man with the golden gun he shows up in the spy who loved me and he's in most of them after that because he's mm-hmm. in moonraker he's in free eyes only he's in octopussy because he's the guy telling the crazy russian general hey stop being so crazy uh and he's another one of the actors who's played multiple roles because he's also he's a specter agent in uh in from russia with love mm-hmm. unrelated wow, to, so he goes way back and he does yeah he's in the yeah. second movie and then they bring him back many years later for mm-hmm. a different role but yeah um yeah i feel like the stuff with pushkin that's something that like it took me until the second watch to really kind of understand what was going on with Pushkin. Cause like, um, and especially because the movie starts with, uh, with Bond saving, um, saving what's, what's the name of the Russian guy that they save? Um, Oh, Georgi. Yeah. Georgi. 
um, yeah. where they they get him through the pipes in the through the uh, through the natural gas pipes out of out of well, it's not out of Russia, I guess it's out of Bratislava, I believe, is what I saw. That's probably right. Yeah. Uh, the only reason why it stuck in my head is because when I went to when I went to Europe in college, the people I went with wanted to go to Bratislava because it's the hockey puck capital of the world, just where they produce the most hockey pucks. I probably have hockey pucks that say that on them. Yeah. Um, behind the Iron Curtain, in any case. So they've got to get out of the like from behind the Iron mm-hmm. Curtain. But uh, to go back to that cold open, like how cool is the cold open? I think it's. I really enjoy it. Like it's always fun to see other double O agents, right? Like you never really get to know them, but it's fun to see like the other guys in the program. Mm-hmm. And of course they always die except for bond. But um... yeah, I, I liked it the second time. The first time I didn't understand what was going on. I think that they trick you too into thinking it's in a real mission until the first paintball goes off. And then you realize it's just paintball guns that they're well, shooting. Well, M mentions real. it as a training exercise in his little briefing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we get the like return of the running gag of M having like a, a full working office in weird places. Like, you know, when he's got an office on a submarine or in a yes. pyramid, or now he's like in the back of a cargo plane, he's just got his desk and he's got <laughs> papers everywhere. And when the door opens the, for the, the, the double agents to skydive out of, he's suddenly surprised that his papers are flying everywhere, which is. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, um, but yeah, he mentions it's a trading exercise that the double O's have been like invited to participate in against, I think the SAS uh, or something. And, and so then you see the paintballs, which I don't know if that's another instance of like the bond movies, like kind of uh, cashing in on a craze. Cause they like to have like, Oh, you know, a snowboard or a jet ski. Or, like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, like, paintball is a new this thing. Is probably the height of paintball. Uh, or the, no, like the no laser tag yeah. in this one, I guess. That, so that one, one day, one day we'll get uh we'll get yeah. bonded ultra zone. Um, I've only played paintball once. I think you were there. Yeah. And, for Dan uh, Dan. Then my house caught on fire, uh, that night. That was the same uh, night. Yep. <laughs> Got home and that, well, you just had like a, a lot. It wasn't a terrible fire. It was just an electrical fire. No big deal. <laughs> um, uh, that house still sold for a lot of money recently. Yeah, it was fine. Um, so then, uh, you know, then after we get done with the, the training exercise, um, oh, then we get the first instance of a cell phone in the series of James Bond because then Bond ends up on a, on a boat at the end of the training. You're exercise. right. Yeah, with the giant um, phone. Yeah. yeah. Zach Moore. I mean, I, don't, I would have to go back and see, but I don't remember well, seeing any other cell phones in any of the Roger Moore movies. And it, you're right. And I think like it doesn't even look like it. It just looks like a cordless phone. But like you're right. It's on a boat. Can't. <laughs> You know, it's the Zach Morris phone. Well, and it's that, not quite the Zach Morris phone, but um, it's a little bit more angled. Yeah. So that moment actually uh, reminds me there's a like, um, I should have mentioned this to you before you rewatched it, but something that's kind of interesting to try and imagine while you're watching The Living Daylights is uh, kind of like a what could have been type game where you imagine Pierce Brosnan in the same role, right? So like mm-hmm. doing the same things and it, like I love Timothy Dalton. I think he's great. Uh, I feel like Brosnan would have been better in this movie just because it's more his style. But just because the jokiness, like when he lands on that boat and you know he he gets on the phone and he says like 007, I'll report in an hour. And then the woman like hands him a drink and he's like, better make it two. Yeah. You know, like it's it it's very awkward coming from Dalton. It doesn't seem like something he would say naturally, but you can I can hear pierce brosnan in my face or in my head <laughs> my face like yeah just right up it's on my face right, yeah, right uh right. right up in my face nailing that line 
like he would say it and he would say it almost in a way where he's like being put out by it. Like, he's like, well, I guess I got to stay here with this lady. Like, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it seems like it was very much like his style, this movie. And just, if you like watch the movie and like, keep that in mind throughout, there's definitely, there's interesting scenes where you can see like how he would have played it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely sillier and I don't know, I guess I just haven't seen Dalton and Brosnan enough times like the Brosnan ones. That's, that's what I know is James Bond because that was right. the first Bond I've, I'd seen. Um, and I don't know. I don't think of, I don't think of Brosnan as, as being that silly, except when we get him like uh, driving on ice soon. There, um, there's going to be some silliness and not, I don't mean just like, I just mean quippiness essentially like yeah. the one liners, the Roger Moore type lines, which, you know, Brosnan is good at delivering and mm-hmm. Dalton is, isn't, as like adept at so know? then they kind of stopped doing that with license to kill though you think they, they right know? yeah like it's he's got jokes every once in a while but it's not as like it's not as lighthearted, you mm-hmm. know yeah um yeah i'll have to watch for that and i i feel like the only thing i can think of is that pierce brosnan would have been really young in you would have yeah seven yeah he because i mean he was in his i think his early 40s when he finally took over mm-hmm. so he would have been what early thirties then. Yeah. It's about years, 10 eight, years. It would have been eight years younger. Yeah. Um, uh, so I really like in the next scene when we're, this is when we get the big orchestra opening mm-hmm. and, um, and bond and Saunders and Saunders throughout the movie is just kind of like the wet blanket on bond, like always just shutting down bonds, crazy ideas. It seems oh, like Saunders. Yeah. And, uh, it's finally redeeming himself. And then, <laughs> yeah. Is this the cru- first crushed in a door? Or is What's he, that? is this first appearance of Saunders or was he? Yes. Yeah. He's a one and done. All right. Yeah. He's the, uh, the sacrificial lamb as they call it. Like this bonds ally who has to die before the end of the mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that bond has, he, he has the tux and then he just folds the tux over and Velcros and it's all, it's all the black. Yep, he's got a sniper suit on. It's a yeah. cool scene. It's like, it's very tense. Mm-hmm. Like it's got like a cool cold war feel. It actually, it reminds me, I know you watched this recently a little bit of the third man and the way that like, they're like shooting out from windows, looking down on streets and there's deep shadows and like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's got that kind of like eerie, uh, you know, kind of, old world city at night feeling yeah tall like tall buildings yeah alleys with tall buildings surrounding it um and you know so then we're we're introduced to Kara at this point where she is gonna try to assassinate uh the the turncoat who Mm -hmm. um whose name keeps slipping my mind uh Georgi Georgi yeah this is the problem um but she was also his girlfriend is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was recruited to to like fake the. Yeah, because she's the, the she shoot, Yeah, she's shooting gun. She's shooting blanks. Um, and Bond, I guess, just because he's so impressed with her cello skills, decides not to kill her. Um, well, he says like, I mean, you know, he he says when he sees her, he didn't. Re- he thought like, you know, she didn't know one end of her gun from the other or something. Right. Like so, he realized it was a setup and. You know, this wasn't, this mm-hmm. wasn't legit. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, so he, she said, he says that uh, must have scared the living daylights out of her. Something yeah, must title have drop. Yeah. Title Very drop. early on in this movie. We can, they get it right out of the way. Yeah. Which is good because I had no idea what the living daylights meant. 
and like for so long in general, I, like I saw the title was the living daylights. And I was like, is this going to movie going to be about like electricity? Like I <laughs> well, and like what the living daylights could have meant. As with a lot of bond titles, it's complete nonsense. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's actually uh, the last bond movie for a little while that takes its name directly from a Fleming title. So, okay, so this is one of the books. That... Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a short story. Um, cause he did, you know, he wrote a bunch of novels and then he had some short story collections and the living daylights is a short story. I haven't read that one. Um, I know this movie, the movie does not follow the plot, but they always would use the titles regardless because, mm-hmm. you know, they paid for them, might as well use them. So, uh, it uses the title. That's why they kind of just have to like fit it in somewhere. Same with a view to a kill. If you remember like the most awkward title drop of all time of yeah. Christopher Walken and Grace Jones uh saying what a view to a kill which makes no sense uh but they got to get it in there somewhere and uh so yeah this uh this was like when they ran out of fleming titles basically so there were a few other um short story titles that they still haven't used because they don't really sound like great bond movie titles like there's one called property of a lady uh which is referenced in octopussy uh, but they've never used it as a title. There's one called the Hildebrand rarity, which sounds like a Robert Ludlum book or something. Uh, yeah. uh, what else? There's one called Risico, which is always, that's always like a rumor for the next bond title, but I don't think they'll ever use it. Um, yeah, I mean, the titles have gotten better. It seems like, yeah. Just looking through like what, what, what titles we have coming up. I don't know if quantum solace is a good title, but so that, that one is, that's a Fleming title. Okay, uh, yeah, it's, it, that's one of the ones where they went back. Casino Royale obviously was a novel that they didn't have the rights to until they made the movie. Mm. Um, but like, you know, Skyfall is, is made up like no, t- no time to die. Uh, I know we're jumping way ahead here, but like, as long as we're talking titles, mm-hmm. I didn't realize they had taken that from, uh, it was the alternate title to a movie that the bond producers made a non bond movie that they made, uh, in the sixties, which I can't remember the, the American title, but in other countries, it was called no time to die. And so that's, it's like a reference, not to the bond series, but to the company that makes the bond movies. So I think mm-hmm. they just realized like, Hey, we made this, you know, 60 years ago or something and it's yeah some of the titles i think like i actually think license to kill is the perfect title for that movie because it not only is it just like a fitting bond uh specific quality that he has a license to kill but Mm -hmm. then that comes into play in the movie because he loses his license to kill yes exactly and uh it was a last minute title change what was it supposed to be like it's in, in a kind of like revenge of the jedi situation there are there's posters of the original title which was license revoked Mm. and uh the at least the claim is that there were people at i don't know if it was the studio or eon uh that were concerned that american audiences would not know what the word revoked meant (laughs) stupid americans uh, yeah i mean i I find that's a little bit of a stretch i feel like people know what that word means but it's not as catchy of a title as License to Kill, obviously. Yeah, I think License to Kill is like, – I'd have to look at all the titles, but I think License to Kill is up there and, uh, you know, top five. And it also – yeah, and it, it, it immediately screams Bond because when you hear someone say License to Kill, you know that means James right. Bond. Did they say License to Kill, that he had a License to Kill throughout? I mean, it's something I just like associate with James Bond, but I never oh, really yeah. paid attention to them saying, you know, from the beginning that he has a license. They do. It's like early in Dr. No, it's mentioned. Okay. Yeah. They say like it's, uh, you know, you have a license to kill, not get killed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, all right. Well, I don't want to like talk through the plot of this because we'll be here all night. Um, but let's just talk about Kara in general, and then we can kind of jump around to different characters in this movie. Yeah. Um, that'll probably get us to cover some things. Um, so Kara, obviously obsessed with her cello. Um, I played cello. the cello. I played the cello when I was in. I played school. the cello in fourth grade. Oh, uh, I never did cello sledding though. Um, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. It was a rental. It was a rental cello. Yeah. So. You know, if you did that, you'd lose your deposit. Um, yeah. And you know that's I feel like that's what I that's like the most memorable part of this movie. Yeah, is, I, that, is that oh the scene? It's a great scene. Yeah, it's and it's got one of the best one liners that we've nothing to declare. Only oh, this right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I, I like Kara. She's a good she's a good Bond girl. It's like it, she's a little you know naive seeming. Yeah, but um, uh, it, it's interesting they they get they make Dalton more of like a not quite monogamous, but like more like dedicated, like romantic character than obviously Roger Moore, who is just like, you know, STD on wheels. Uh, Do you mean within the movie? Within the movie. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, he, she's like, she is the girl. There's no like secondary girl in this movie. Like usually there's the main girl and then the side girl or whatever. And you've got, you've got the girl on the boat at the beginning, but like there's only one love interest really in the Uh, movie. Yeah, in this movie, yes. Yes, in this one, yeah. Yes. They, Not they, the case yeah. on License to Kill. There's a, there's a triangle in License to Kill, and it's yeah. kind of awkward, especially at the end. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, and it's... and it, Even in License to Kill, they make it seem like it's like it's a struggle. Like, he's actually, like, having... He's, like, having a hard time deciding or something, yes. which, like, other Bonds, would they wouldn't care. They would just be like, all right, mm-hmm. two girls is great. Um, but... Kara, on the other hand, is kind of in that bond role because she is uh, she is with the turncoat guy. Um, yeah, uh, Koskov. That's his mm-hmm. name. I was like, I knew I had it somewhere in my notes. There it is, Koskov. Yeah, um, but gets pretty chummy with James very quickly. Yeah, it's you know he kind of has to like win her over because she's still in love with that sleazeball. But um, mm. yeah, because she ends up she's with James and then she poisons him. Um, and it isn't until they get locked up in Afghanistan, which I think before I watched this movie, I didn't realize how close Afghanistan and Russia were to each other. Um, well, it's it, in the eighties, Russia was occupying Afghanistan. So they had invaded and had their troops down there, uh, and were, um, were occupying force. They got, they eventually get pushed out, you know, in part by the Mujahideen who, which we see at the end of the movie, which is really weird, like to see like Bond teaming up with the Mujahideen because mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm teaming with the freedom fighters. And it's like, was one of those guys Osama bin Laden? Like, yeah, yeah true. Um, did they film, where did they film? I'm saying they didn't film that in Afghanistan. Those, uh, those, like, I would assume not, desert. but I have no idea. Mm. I feel um, like... Where did they film? Where was Tatooine? Um, yeah, I don't know. Was that in? Wasn't that I just like... California? No, 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 no. They film it overseas. Yeah, I stumped you. I feel I feel very uh, very honored that I was able to stump you. Well, I'm almost done with my drink here, so you know. Um, yeah, the Wikipedia says this was shot in Morocco. So there you go. Um, also Vienna is the other Vienna, Germany, United States, mm-hmm. Italy, and, and Morocco. 
Um, all right, so we have a lot of villains in this movie. This is why I can't keep everybody straight. So we've got Costco. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's smuggled out. We've got uh, who we think is a villain in Pushkin. Um, yeah. He ends up working with James. Right. Um, John Reese Davies, we should mention. Yes. The great uh, John Reese Davies. Who you, who, Zala, Gimli. Yeah, I was going to say, I, you see him um, in all kinds of stuff Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Well, two of them. Rings. Yeah. Apparently also in Aquaman. I do not remember him in Aquaman, but I have yet to see Aquaman, sadly. Yeah, it's very unmemorable. One um, day I will watch Aquaman. Looks like he does a lot of voice work as well, too. So, yep. Uh, He's got a great voice. Uh Jungle Book 2, Aladdin 2. So um yeah. Oh, he's in the Great White Hype. I never saw that movie, but I remember when that came out. I remember the box at Blockbuster. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Um and uh, then we have the henchman, Necros. So, Necros, yeah. Uh, I feel uh, like I can really relate to Necros because he's always got his headphones on. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you only listen to one song, though? Because he listens to exactly <laughs> one song yeah, that's true. all the time, which could be why he's a homicidal maniac. <laughs> he's cursed to this one song. He's, just got, he's got an iPod shuffle with one thing on it. Oh, man. Um, hopefully he's got some backup batteries, though, because I can't imagine that his Walkman is going to last very long. No. But he's got a really strong headphone cord because he strangles multiple people with yes, it. Yes, he uses that. It's basically his weapon is his headphone cord. It, it kind of reminds me of like the Simpsons arcade game where, you know, Bart Simpson's weapon was his skateboard. That's right, uh, yeah. This is Necros's weapon uh, outside of his his uh, mankini that he wears is his headphone cord. One day we'll get a we'll get a skateboard villain. I feel like if there had been... You know, there's no Bond movie between 1989 and 1995, and mm-hmm. that's probably good because if there had been a Bond movie in 93, there would have been like a rollerblading henchman. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And we don't need that. Uh, we get close enough in some of these other movies. Yeah. Um, Necros, though, like, I don't, did you recognize him from any other movies? Not off the top of my head, but I feel like his character reminded me of the henchman from from Russia with Love. Yes. Yeah, Red Grant. So there yeah. is a... Um, a proud history of like Aryan henchmen in Bond movies. There's always these strong, like semi-silent blonde, like henchmen. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, yeah, you've got Red Grant. Uh, you've got, um, what's his name? Eric Kriegler in For Your Eyes Only. You've got Necros. Um, you're going to have another one coming up in the Brosnan years. Like it's kind of a recurring thing they go back to is like the, the, like the blonde killer. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think when I saw this, I said, you know, they, oh, they wanted Dolph Lundgren, but couldn't get him for this movie. Well, he was in the last one. That was his his film debut. Was uh, a view oh, to a kill. Right. He's yeah. got his little cameo in the background mm-hmm. as a KGB agent. Um, I mean, but, they could they reuse people all the time, though. Of course, yeah. But in that two years span, he probably became too big. Too oh big. yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, no, the the I'm gonna blank on his name. I feel like it's like Wisniewski or something. I can't remember, but um, the actor who plays Necros, you would know him from a movie called Die Hard, uh, mm-hmm. where he is the first terrorist that John McClane kills, the one who's the brother of the main henchman. So mm-hmm. Carl is the main henchman, right? And his brother is the one that, that McClane kills and writes, ho, 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 I have a machine gun on him tries to put on his boots, but his boots are too small. That guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also in the first 
Mission Impossible as the henchman of Vanessa Redgrave's Max character. He's got super long hair and he's the one that takes Tom Cruise like to go meet Vanessa Redgrave. Mm. Uh, and he's got a cameo in Ghost Protocol as well. But That's interesting he's in the first Mission Impossible because I feel like Living Daylight's kind of reminds me of Mission Impossible. Like just the the whole plot of going after all the spies and uh, the term that they use, yep. smear Spielman. Um, smear Spionum. Yeah, death yeah. to spies. Yeah, I tried to write it down phonetically as I heard it last night. Uh, yep. Smear Spielman is what I wrote down. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and it's got, you know, there's like kind of the, there's a lot of like old European locales in both of them. We get Vienna and mm-hmm. Living Daylights and then in, a lot of uh, Mission Impossible is the early parts are in Prague and uh, yeah, like I feel like the um, Ethan running through the streets in in the beginning part of Mission Impossible in Prague, then, yeah, yeah, and then just the the uh, going after all the spies really reminds me a lot of Mission Impossible. But this yeah, came out before, so Mission Impossible reminds me of Living Daylights. There you go, nine years later. Yeah, and I that's it's interesting because I feel like License to Kill has elements of uh ghost protocol in it where it's like he gets his license revoked and he's no longer like officially part of the system but is still on this mission and you're following Going you rogue. know that yeah or uh yeah is it rogue nation that it well of? It, it's that i mean when we get to our uh mission impossible rewatch podcast we can talk about the number of times that ethan hunt goes rogue but you're right in both instances that yeah. like he 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 goes rogue all the time yeah. The first one. The second one's the only one I think where he never goes rogue. Um, no, that's yeah. That's because that's just maybe the sixth movie. one too. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation are the two that I cannot keep straight what happens in which movie. They're the most movies, similar. I, yeah. Of any like of any two movies in the series are the most similar. Which is that's the way I feel about bond movies in general and that's why it's like when we have these long layoffs when i watch the movie and then i have to like try to remember what happened to them like i feel like with the roger moore one where i'm just kind of like oh yeah right that happened i totally forgot and even these this is two movies that i watched a second time this week and i'm still like have to remember like which happened in which movie just because yeah there's something about bond movies i don't know if it's just like the number of characters or the twisty plot lines that it I, i could not do what you do without uh years and years of practice talking about these movies well that's what i've had so yeah it's yeah yeah, and and like you said that the plot particularly in living daylights is kind of inconsequential like it doesn't make it's twisty and turny but it does it's not really the point of the movie you know they just kind of are doing that um for the sake of it and it it gets really weird towards the end as we're talking about different villains we get to brad whitaker where suddenly like jodon baker is the main villain of the movie all of us like i mean he's been there in different scenes but like that's who the big showdown is with at the end and it's he's just kind of a weirdo with his like military obsession and like he's not a strong like final villain it's not who you want to see bond facing off against yeah definitely making fun of americans uh a couple times in this movie with that with the ghetto blaster line or like early on in the movie um yeah so then uh yeah, that, I was going to say that's that's the final villain that we have is is Whitaker. Um, I do like that he has all these wax dictators all over his uh, hangout. Yeah. Quarters, whatever you want to call it. And um, and then I think at one point he pops out from one like he's standing there like he's a wax villain. And then he, he is. Yeah, he's oh, he's like so it's yeah, he's got like basically great military leaders mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily great. You know, a lot of infamous ones as well. But 
uh, I guess, consequential military leaders. And yeah, he's he's disguised as one of them at the end. Including Julius Caesar. And I just watched a movie with Julius Caesar in it. Uh, last couple of weeks, I've been, I watched uh, uh, Life of Brian has, Julius, has a Julius Caesar-esque character. It's not actually Julius Caesar. Yes. And then Spartacus has Julius Caesar as well. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, and so then, yeah, we have the the animal heart that somehow Bond is able to pick out that it's that what they think is a heart transplant for a human is actually an animal heart. And they're just using it to smuggle diamonds out. Yeah. Um, Which plane. is like just kind of like a plot line that comes out of nowhere and then yeah. doesn't really matter afterwards. Yeah. But, you know, like, I guess Whitaker's plan was to get these diamonds to pay for uh, or he was trying to sell all these arms to um to Koskov and then they backed out of the plan and sounds right yeah um yeah this this like I said this this one's a little bit just uh all over the place and uh literally all over the place because then they travel to Afghanistan and uh we do have that great airplane uh fight between Bond and yeah. Necros very cool on yeah. the cargo netting mm-hmm. um and Bond is able to uh slip off his boot and Necros falls to his death. Yeah. So it's uh, it is a, we, we we didn't talk about the car chase, but we get Aston Martin again. We haven't seen Aston Martin since I guess uh Lazenby. I think Lazenby mm-hmm. had the last Aston Martin. So Roger so. Moore never had Aston Martins? No, he he drove a Lotus in two movies and didn't always have like a, a tricked out car, but uh this is the return of I think it's a DB seven. Mm. We'll have to, I'll have to watch for when the switch to Audi comes because I feel like Bond drives an Audi now. He doesn't. No. No? He just advertises no. with Audi? I don't think so. I feel like you always see you Daniel Craig Audi commercials. No, if you want me to get into the cars of the future movies, uh, Daniel mm. Craig drives Aston Martins. Mm. Uh, and Brosnan has a mixture. He starts with BMW and then That's switches to Aston Martin. I remember BMWs from. Uh, from some of the movies yeah they finally bring back the aston for his last his last flick but yeah. um yeah the the db7 i think it's a db7 in uh in living daylights is very cool and spoiler alert uh it's back in no time to die which is which is kind of neat that they brought back dalton's car for the new craig movie it's do uh, they bring back a new version of it or is it well, I no, guess it's, I'll the ni- it. it's the 1987 version. Mm. Um, I don't know how big of a part of the movie it is, but it's just in all the like uh, production photos they've shared, like all the, like there's a poster of him standing with it and stuff. So it's just kind of. Maybe Daniel like, Craig just advertised. I think like Daniel Craig and Audi for some reason uh, are, I associate together. This could be some sort of Mandela effect. It might be a Mandela effect. Yeah. Um, this is a picture of a uh, celebrity Audi drive. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> i'll get out of that uh, all right um anything else that you want to talk about uh, we went very long on living daylights and uh license to kill is the one i more want to talk about anything else on living daylights that you want to oh um drop I'll, I'll think of something as we go along we can we can jump into license to kill and i'm sure i'll, I'll jump back and forth i do like that cara is playing the cello at the end with a bullet in her cello yeah it's great it's a stradivarius she can't get rid of it yeah uh i don't think that would work i think the sound would be totally distorted from that she probably put some tape underneath it or something yeah. not know? getting her deposit back on the on the rental on that one no so. all right well uh then we jump forward two years in time and we get felix's wedding um, new felix, felix. new felix he's aged up he looks more like regis now um, he is very regis like that's a good point his yeah. voice too he's uh-huh. got a regis voice yeah um 
And I noticed right away that, again, we get characters being strangled by the bad guys who have shown up to infiltrate. Yeah, so, um, a lot of strangling. Yeah. Necros, he like pops out of the bushes to strangle people. This this character, uh, I don't think it was Sanchez who strangles, um, who starts strangling the DEA agents. But um, I, I was watching these movies back to back. I was like, oh, I lost. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, so Felix's wedding um, goes off with a little bit of a hitch, but they're able to capture Sanchez capture his plane or uh, yeah we get the chris nolan ripped off for dark knight rises which is the the plane that goes fishing for the other plane Mm. is that uh was that intentionally that he ripped it off or oh 100 yeah nolan's nolan's a bond fan he knows he knows what he did yeah um so the i also noticed the bride is very handsy with james she's like yeah she is like uh i don't know she's into him yeah, like giving like straight up like mouth to mouth kisses to James Bond and um, yeah, I mean it is James Bond I get, but it's her wedding day to uh, to Felix. I almost said to Regis. <laughs> to Regis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to Regis Lighter. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's... Oh, I just I just put together he Felix Lighter and his gift to all of his uh, best men is a lighter. Is a lighter. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, okay. it's a. Uh... As they say in in his other in David Hedison's other turn as Felix Leiter, when his voice is coming out of the, the car cigarette lighter, and Roger Moore says a genuine Felix Leiter. Oh, I did. I'll have to catch it on the second time through. Yeah, yeah, on the rewatch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he gives away a lighter uh, that comes in handy later. Do we see the lighter in the beginning? I mean, is it like Chekhov's lighter? Because I know it obviously is. It, it is Chekhov's lighter. He gets okay. it's given to him. And there's a little joke when he like flicks it on and it like shoots way up, like mm-hmm. almost like a Q gadget. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And it's used at the end for its ultimate purpose, intended purpose of revenge. Yes. Putting Sanchez out of his misery. Yeah. So um, yeah. License to kill in general, just did a lot of things I really liked. Yeah. Um, before we get too much into everything you just said, revenge. I love that. It's, it is just feels like the most personal of the bond movies that we've seen so far. Yeah. Um, that bond is set on this mission because his friend um, is nearly killed. Yep. And both times I watched this, I thought Felix died because it, when he gets put in with the shark uh, when, with the pulley system, which I love the idea of like putting the, I think they put the meat on the pulley. Yeah. And then they put that down for the sharks. And then the, as soon as the sharks eat the meat, then Felix drops in the water. Yes. So the more meat they eat, the right. more danger Felix is in. Exactly. Which um, I guess I could backfire if the sharks fill up on the meat. Right. They don't want it's to the, his only hope is that yeah. the shark wasn't that hungry to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how Felix survived. Both times I watched this, I, mean, I was like, oh, Felix died. Okay, you've you've is- seen those. What is I mean, you've seen Soul Surfer. You know, you can you can get limbs chewed off by a shark and be yeah. okay. Does he, I mean, we don't really see, and maybe he shows up and I know he eventually is going to show back up, but uh, did he lose his legs? He does. Well, he loses, I think he loses one leg. So I don't remember if they, if they cover it in this movie, but um, in the book, so License to Kill is not based off a book, Mm -hmm. but Felix getting eaten by a shark is from the book of Live and Let Die. So they don't, they didn't use it in live and let die, but in the book, the same thing, exact thing happens to him. The same note that says he disagreed with something that ate him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the, that's like the second, that's the second bond book. So that's the second 
time Felix Leiter has ever showed up in the series. And from then on, when he recurs in the novels, he has uh, a prosthetic leg. Mm. So it's uh, um, it's unclear how like I, they might mention it at the end of License to Kill, but I can't remember. But that's that's what I always assume because that's what they took it from. Is mm. that like yeah? I, I don't think it was super clear. Leg. But yeah. I would I would think that I mean you're not going to survive that. Um, he seems a little like you know I realize he went through some trauma there, but at the end of the movie, he's like he is in full. 100% good spirits in the hospital with his leg chewed off when his wife was just killed on oh, their true. wedding yeah, day. His wife is, yeah. And his good friend and groomsman Sharky has been killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had unfortunate a name for sure. Sharky. Yeah. yeah. He's and he's, you know, Felix did not have a good week and you wouldn't think he would be like, maybe they've got him on some of the good stuff at the hospital. And like, that was just the effect of some morphine. Well, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in Felix's office, he is a real front runner. Uh, so he has posters for the LA Dodgers, the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, and the New York Yankees. So <laughs> maybe he was just watching some sports, and that's why he's his teams, you know, the Dodgers won the 88 World Series, I think. Uh, I'm sure the Cowboys were good around that time. So uh, that's a good point. I had not thought about that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was like, at first I saw the Dodgers and I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. He's, you know, American likes the LA team. And then I saw Cowboys and I was like, all right, the Dodgers and the Cowboys. And then the last one you could see is the Yankees. I'm like, wait, so he likes two baseball teams and they're the two most front running baseball teams. Yeah. And well, the Cowboys at least makes sense because at least again, like, you know, not to be like in the books type guy, because I haven't even read many of those, but uh, uh, he's from Texas in the novels. So that, that at least makes sense. Um, and I'm he could a Oilers fan. That would have been nice because then yeah. now he could be a Titans fan. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure he's a LA Lakers fan. And uh, oh yeah, definitely. Probably a Knicks fan as well, but not anymore. But he used to be no. a Knicks fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I I wrote down some other stuff from some stuff early in the movie. Uh, oh, I did write down old buddy. I was going to address you as old buddy early on in this podcast, and I forgot. You blew it. Yeah, I totally forgot. That was blew I was going to introduce my old buddy Mac Johnson. Uh, <laughs> And so, um, but yeah, then we get, we get bond on the revenge mission. I, I love when he resigns. He says it's a farewell to arms, which both times I watched this movie, I thought, Oh, farewell to arms could have been a good title for this movie. I mean, it's taken, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. I, okay. I guess that would be why they didn't. Um, and maybe the only bit of real silliness we get is bond in the mantis, the giant manta ray suit um, where he's swimming. Even- is it even a, is it even a suit or is he just using a real manta ray? Oh, that was my question. I've never I've I've thought about that. <laughs> whole, like every time I watch it, I'm I like, just assumed it was. Is a this suit. a gadget? Is this a Q gadget? Or did he just sneak up on a manta ray and just? I mean, like they're pretty docile, right? Like he just kind of used it, used his environment. That's um, what I'm gonna go with. Yeah, he nothing to see here. It's just a genius. manta ray. Yeah, nothing yeah. to see here. It's just a manta ray. <laughs> um. So then uh, this is when Bond uh, gets onto the boat and um, whose, whose room is he in at this point? Is he in, um, do you remember? Because I, I wrote down that she kept looking, like she opens the door and Sanchez is like, is there anybody, you know, like there's somebody who got on the ship. Have you seen anything? And she keeps looking like her eyes keep darting to where Bond is standing. Oh. And I thought that she was trying to give away that Bond was there and they, I don't know if they just didn't pick it up or maybe that was just the actress was doing what she wasn't supposed to. 
I no, I think it's just her being nervous. I think that was her playing nervous. Okay. Because like, she keeps looking like it would be the way you were trying, you would be trying to motion to somebody that there is something. There going is on. someone here. Yeah. Right. Uh, like, but they don't do anything with it. And it's Pam. Yeah. It, it, Pam, who's the main uh Pam Bouvier, who's the main Bond girl. And I feel like the only reason I know her name is because I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Wait, are we? He's he's in Pam, she or maybe it's a, oh no, maybe it's, it's not Pam's room. It's no, it's Lupe. Is, it's Lupe's room. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah we haven't met Sanchez's. Pam yet. Yeah, yeah. She shows Pam shows up later. Um, neither of them, I feel like, are actually named in the movie. Uh, at least I don't, I don't have Lupe either. Has said a few times because, like, if I remember right, uh, I feel like Dalton pronounces it Loopy, which is it's funny, but uh, um. Uh, they make they mention Pam Bouvier, and then they, there's a little joke later when her undercover name is Kennedy because that was, you know, Jackie Bouvier became Jackie Kennedy. Oh right, yeah. I didn't, I didn't Anassis, know it was but, Jackie Bouvier. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think it's in there, but mm. but yeah. Um. I, I feel like I did not pick up their names. I was just like, okay, there's like the the two girls who are both very in love with with uh, Bond. It seems. Yes, but conflicted about it, you know, because mm-hmm. one of them also into Sanchez, yeah, and one of them into her job, yeah. Um, she's like the spy who loved me, like that's yeah, her. it's another, it's yeah, it's kind of like a thing they it's a well they go back to a lot, which is like the female spy, mm-hmm. um, who holds her own against Bond, yeah. Um, so I feel like this is this movie is sort of like split into kind of distinct parts. Like we have everything up to this point, and then we get um we get the money plane, we have James Bond water skiing, the bar fight, um, the casino stuff, and um, and then Q showing back up, Q being James's uncle. Yes, Q in the field, which yeah. doesn't happen very often, but it's got like one of my favorite moments of the movie, which is Q checking the softness of both beds in the hotel room where like (laughs) he's just gonna go he's just gonna go crash and he goes and he pushes down on both beds to decide which one he wants oh i didn't notice that (laughs) yeah it's a great it's a great moment i thought you were gonna say q with the broom brush where another good one that's a good one that's like an inspector gadget is what that reminds me yeah yeah (laughs) taking some everyday object and turning it into a walkie-talkie to give his uh yeah that very good cue in this movie. Oh, lots, lots of cue in this movie yeah. too. He gets, yeah. Much more noticeable with the giant cue hands, which you had told me about. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a bit on the James Bonding podcast. They always rank the size of, of Q's hands and license to kill has got to be, it's got to be up there in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Like it's, he's, he's just got giant meat mittens. Right. Um, and, uh, and then we get the introduction of the Mortal Kombat villain, Shang Song. Is that? Uh, well, we have we have two Mortal Kombat characters in this film. So yeah. who's the other Shang one? Sung. Yeah. Well, Lupe is Princess Katana. Oh, Lupe. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, and so they re they team back up. You go from this movie and then watch Mortal Kombat right after. Exactly. Yeah. Are, are they in the new Mortal Kombat that's coming out this year? Oh, I hope so. Be good. I don't think I think that's just a reboot. I don't think that's canon from the other ones. I highly doubt it. Yeah, yeah. but um, we have nice. the we have the pressure safe or the reverse pressure oh, safe. The pressure, yeah, the like the the I guess that's for 
yeah, the pressure chamber for, I don't know if that's for, if you get the bends or something or, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's great. Milton Crest's demise. Yeah. Uh, which I think is why like, it, you know, in, in the States, this was the first Bond movie to get a PG 13 rating. They had all been PG before. Uh, the PG rate, the PG 13 rating was new anyway. It had only been around since what, 84 anyway, or 85. So it, there hadn't been a lot of chances to use it, but this is the first one that gets the PG 13. I think and then it, that makes sense though. For this. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and I think it's because of that, that kill in particular, the exploding face, but in England, I believe it had their equivalent of the R rating, which is the only time that's happened in a bond movie. I feel like between Felix's wife getting killed, Felix getting eaten by a shark. Um, yeah. The electric eels are kind of cartoony, but like, and I did really like when uh, when the guy gets thrown into the electric eel vat, and it's just immediately yeah. like like a lightning explosion, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then everything that happens with with this guy. I did notice in this movie uh, they really like the idea of tubes being cut in this movie. It's like three different times when tubes get cut. You're right. A lot of tube cutting. Yeah. So we get Bond's uh, scuba suit tube getting cut. We get the tube cut to the uh, pressurization, pressurization chamber. And then we get the tubes cut on the, uh, I think it's on the brake lines on one of the semi-trucks as well. That's a good point. Yep. You gotta make uh, a super cut, a tube cut super <laughs> tube cut. Tube cut, yes. Uh, rule of threes. So, uh, <laughs> so from yep. here, uh, we get to the meditation center. We get a lot more Wayne Newton at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much Wayne Newton in this yeah. movie. And we we find out what what Sanchez's plot is, and this is it's much easier to tell you what the plot is of License to Kill the Living Daylights. Yeah, uh, Sanchez's evil plot is that they are putting cocaine into oil, and then they're exporting the oil and they're selling the cocaine through the televangelist, which is played by Wayne Knight or Wayne Newton. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh Wayne my God! Knight. Oh, that you just if only. <laughs> what a what a what if scenario. I know, right. I love that. Um, yeah, Wayne Newton, bless your heart. Yes, like just creeping it up big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't talked about Benicio del Toro yet. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, great young Benicio del Toro is super I guess young the, Benicio. The uh, one of the henchmen, the like brawn of the henchmen. There's like a brawn Dario. henchman. And, yeah. Oh, his name's Dario. Like Dario. You know, yeah. Like yeah. super. Uh, super Dario. Like like. Super, <laughs> <laughs> super super dario brothers was yeah. a much darker video game with a right. lot more stabbing yeah um <laughs> yeah he's he's like he's he's kind of like of that like psychotic bond henchman uh ilk where it's you just get the idea he just likes killing people yeah well and i guess i kind of skipped over but there's the whole roadhouse scene where i right. thought dario gets killed at that point but he shows back up later on and, and that's how it blows bombs another day yeah right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, I forgot about the roadhouse scene, which again is another, like, you know, ba- you could just imagine like Michael G. Wilson sitting at home, like flipping channels and he's like, Oh, Miami vice is pretty cool and writes it down and then flips another channel and roadhouse is on. And, yep. you know, he's like, this is all going in the movie. Like it's just so much Florida in this movie. It is. There's a fight with a swordfish. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, yeah, no, I, the, the roadhouse scene is great. They got the guns under the table, um, the big fight that happened. How did she get it in there? Is what I want to know. She's That's had it Florida. under there the entire time. That's Florida. It is Florida. You're right. Uh, it's, and then you get like one of the most 
abrupt turns from like kind of a woman resisting Bond's charms to just like suddenly being okay with it. And uh, that happened a lot in like the Connery days and the early more, I guess, but like it for like a latter day Bond movie, she like just, it's like a switch. They run out of gas in the boat and she's like, all right, yeah, guess we're doing this now. Like after being completely like 100% opposed. Well, maybe she really liked the way that he stood up in the bar. Cause that's right after the bar scene, right? It is, it is. But even like the early, you know, that she's still, you know, giving him a lot of shit on the boat right out, but mm-hmm. could just, I guess could be just some, some playful banter. I don't know. Yeah. But she just like, they waste no time. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked her for a, for a match with bond. I wish that would have worked out. Yeah. Carrie Lowell. She's, mm-hmm. she's good. She's, uh, she's wearing kind of a weird wig for the first part of the movie before she cuts her hair later on. But oh, like, yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, she's great. Married to Richard Gere. Oh, still? I believe so, yeah. Good. That's great. Yeah. Great to see those. Good for uh, them. Love, love when they make, you know, so. make it work. Uh, so then the last third of the movie, we have the Meditation Center, um, which is actually where they're producing the cocaine. Uh, I like that Bond wears a mask. No questions asked. He doesn't. Mask up. Yeah, he puts his mask on. He wears mm-hmm. it. Um, ends up getting in the fight with Dario on the conveyor belt. And Dario yes. ends up getting put Very through the paper scene. shredder. Yeah. Um, the cocaine so, shredder, you mean? Well, yeah, the cocaine shredder that goes into the oil. So there, Sanchez isn't worried about tanning his cocaine with blood and human flesh? Well, I mean, I think at that point, the tankers had already been loaded with all the drugs. And it was good to go at that point. They were, you know, the place is blowing up anyway. I think he just wanted to kill somebody in his shredding machine. Maybe, but there's still cocaine going through there. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I did like that those tankers are full of drugs, oil, and blood. Like the three things that you can make like the most money with. It's a good point. Very yeah. thematic, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of uh, like Mad Max Fury Road. So. You're right. Mm-hmm. George Miller totally ripped off License to Kill. Yes, definitely. Uh, so <laughs> we get our big... Uh, we get our big chase scene. We get the semi truck doing the wheelie that Bond yep. is driving. Um, and uh, at this point, the first time around, I had a great idea. And that was an idea for post Bond. Uh, we flip the script. And instead of, uh, I'll have watched all the Bond movies, which are all new to me. And then I was thinking, once we finish the Bond movies, which will be. Heading. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know where this is heading. Once we, once we finish the Bond movies in April, then we start up a new series. And that's a. Uh, I don't know what it would be called it call it yet, but like a furious ears only. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's got to have family in the title. That's true. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we can workshop. We got a couple months. Okay. That's only yeah. nine movies. That's like a third of the number of movies that I had to watch for, Bond, and they're much now? easier to follow. Um, well, uh, sorry, only eight movies. Nine. There will movies. be nine. There will, there will be, be nine, nine this oh. year. Okay. Presumably. Yeah. Okay. I have I have seen one. I've seen the first one. Mm-hmm. They, there's uh, not like as easy of a way to split them up as there is with Bond because there's not the big actor changes, but it's kind yeah. of like you knock the first three out and then I think you do four and five and then six, seven, eight, I think. Is okay. How you it up. I, you know, I've been interested in checking them out at some point, but it's the, the roadblock for me, the hurdle has always been block, like, yes. you just drive <laughs> right through it. That was not intentional. Um, the uh yeah the obstruction 
uh, in the road for me has always been that, and I know there are like uh, Tokyo drift stands out there, but everyone has always told me, oh, once you get to the fifth one, they get really good. I'm like, I got to watch four bad movies before I get to the good one. <laughs> uh, four has some redeeming stuff in it. I feel like okay. one, I haven't rewatched one in a long time. I feel like one is probably okay. Two, I think it's going to be um, pretty bad. Three is different. I mean, it, it is kind of like the Netflix series that people are like, hey, you've just got to stick with it for like half the season. Yeah, yeah. And then it's great. Um, it, one would be interesting to, to watch, to rewatch now, just because I did just watch Point Break a few weeks ago. And oh, it's, yeah, it's the same thing. Basically the same movie from what yeah. I understand. What uh, I love about Fast and Furious 1 is that they are doing a big heist to steal DVD players. Like that's the whole <laughs> plot. <laughs> So. It's something that that no one has paid for. In <laughs> right. ten, everyone, yeah. every new, every DVD player that has been acquired in the last ten years has been has been given, yeah. has been handed down. Yeah. Um. I mean, they're they're short, uh, mostly short. They get longer, but um, five is very good. Five is well. Worthwhile. I can tell you, Sarah has seen uh, exactly one of them. Oh, which is the seventh one, and she loves it and talks about how much she loves it a lot, but has never watched any of the others. Which seven is, is very good. Seven yeah. is seven's my second favorite. Five's my favorite. You watched it on a plane. Uh, uh, they say you're even more emotional when you watch movies on a plane, and seven is emotional on the ground. So, okay, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I watched uh, the last movie I watched on a plane was Young Frankenstein, and I did I cried a little bit. So you're probably right. It was <laughs> yeah, much more. There, no, there's a there's articles about it. scientifically when you're on a plane, you're there's something about the I don't know if it's the pressure or what, but you're more susceptible to crying on movie about movies hmm. on a plane. Good to know. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so we get the big fast and furious style, uh, car chase and it means the end for Sanchez. Um, Sanchez gets lit on fire. Um, I did, I did notice, did Bond use any of the devices in this movie? Oh, any of his gadgets? Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. So this, there's a little sniper scene when he is, uh, outside the casino spying on Sanchez and he's got his like his signature gun, which is the gun that only responds to his palm print. Right? Oh, right. Yep. And uh, he's got like repelling gear and all that stuff. Um, that's also when the ninjas show up, if you want to bring in another eighties trope. So yep. not only do we get Miami vice and uh, roadhouse, but there's just five minutes of ninjas for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, the, the mortal, well, I guess it's not the mortal Kombat villains, but they're with the mortal Kombat villains. So. It's yes, because he is he's secretly uh, he's an undercover agent yeah. who's investigating Sanchez and James Bond is blowing up his spot. So he yep. shows up naturally with ninjas. And. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm OK. I'm always for ninjas showing up in movies, so yeah, it's fun. It works for me. I liked it. Um, and that's when that's when Bond gets strapped down. They realize his gun only responds to his hand. Yes. And there is the MI6 agent who is actually sent there to um, to bring Bond back to. Right. So forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And that's that kind of reminds me of again, that that sort of reminds me of uh, the Mission Impossible of it. Yes. They're like, oh, yeah, we got to bring you back. And then Bond escapes and Bond's able to complete his mission. And then by the end of the movie, he's got his license to kill back because uh, he was vindicated. Right. So, um, but not before Bond, uh, he sees the iguana with the, uh, no longer has the diamonds around the neck. 
sadly. Now, now it's on Luffy's hand, and um, Luffy makes makes out with him, but then he sees Pam and realizes he likes <laughs> Pam more. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, uh, it's a weird little love triangle they have at the end where like she kisses him, but he's you know. He's not against it. He's kind of into it. She sees him. It's very like sitcom or like, you know, primetime melodrama of like, uh, but then, you know, the grand gesture of jumping in the pool Mm -hmm. and then the weird winking fish at the end. (laughs) (laughs) What a strange image to end such a violent movie on. Yeah, it is very, it's a very different ending to this movie. Yeah. Um. Um, What's well, uh, we haven't talked at all? I realized about theme songs because we have two two themes here. Yeah, um, I prefer the License to Kill theme song. Okay, um, I don't even really remember Living Daylights theme song that well. Living Daylights was done by Aha. Okay, very eighties. Uh, very eighties, uh, and very much I feel like them trying to repeat the success of Duran Duran in the previous movie. Yeah, which had been you know one of the biggest hits of the series in terms mm-hmm. of the theme songs. Uh, Still my Aha. number one, I think. Uh, a View to a Kill. Like I actually listen to that mm-hmm. song regularly. I like it's that great. Song a lot. Yeah. Oh, I do. Too. Yeah, I do too. Sarah is not a fan, and I put it on a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. It, I think they were trying to tap back into that, like you know, Euro pop rock kind of sensibility but aha was a little a little past their prime at that point and it's you know it's okay it's a, it's a very very 80s song um and then license to kill you get gladys knight with i mean i'll you know due respect to gladys knight like the license to kill theme may be my least favorite of the entire series so i like it because it just sounds so early 90s to me like every time i hear it i yes. think it sounds like en vogue it, um, yes, like there's it reminds like, me of that song. It has every trope from that era. Like there's all the like synthesized percussion and a little like I don't even know what it is. There's this little noise that I feel like was in every song, every like adult contemporary song from like 1988 to 1993. Of mm-hmm. like it, I, I, it's I'm sure it was a button that came on every Casio keyboard. And I don't right. know what it is, but like it's in there and it drives me crazy. Um, well, that's probably the song that's gonna be in this. Probably the intro to this podcast is that one. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, out of these two, I like that one better. Yeah. Um, a View to a Kill is my favorite. Uh, Live and Let Die is up there. Yep. Off the top of my head, other ones that. Um, Spy really... Who Loved Me is great. Nobody does. Oh, Diamonds it. Are Forever. Um, yep. Goldfinger. Yeah, Goldfinger. So this is like top 10. Uh, and then maybe, what, and definitely one of my top ones is. Uh, you only live twice. Wait, did you mention that? No, no, but that that's is, a great one. Yeah, Nancy Sinatra. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, we also didn't talk about the other henchman, like the brainy henchman for Sanchez, uh, who looks kind of like Cillian Murphy and just has like a very recognizable face, but I have no idea what, maybe it's just that he looks like Cillian Murphy. Um, Killian, yeah. Killian Murphy. It's Killian Murphy. It's Killian. Um, edit, we'll edit that out. Yeah, it's all right. So Anthony Stark. Oh, Tony Stark. That's the actor. T- <laughs> um, but he is, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know what I, what I would know. He's the you, Jimmy you're, on, you're, in Seinfeld. You just blew my mind. <laughs> His name is Tony Stark. Wait, are you, hold on. No, that he was Jimmy. I like, how did I never well, put that together? This is Truman Lodge, right? Truman That's, Lodge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, his letterbox profile says, uh, He's known for one episode in Seinfeld playing the third yes. person 
the speaking. No, it's he's definitely Jimmy. I just never realized that, and that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, wow. He's in a version of the Magnificent Seven from 1998 um, with Michael Bean. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really not much. I don't think I. I guess I. It's, he just looks similar to other actors. Like he's got a very 80s, like almost Michael J. Foxy vibe to him. Uh, like Secret of My Success era. Yeah, like I feel like he's could be in Wall Street. Like he, he would be friends with Patrick Bateman. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Um. Yeah, and it's. It's what so you know obviously I mean, back you know previously when I actually went to an office uh, in normal times, I always passed a building on my way there, which is one of those like you know, fraternal order type you know uh, like men's clubs, and it's called the Lincoln Lodge. And every time I pass the Lincoln Lodge, I think of Truman Lodge. <laughs> the Truman Lodge. <laughs> yeah, the Truman Lodge. <laughs> when so when I, we make I, James I, Bond I, world, that could be one of the hotels. Is the Truman yeah. Lodge. And it's just funny because I pass it, I would pass it every day on my way to work. And I feel like I'm probably (laughs) the person in the world that spends the most time thinking about Truman Lodge just because he pops into my head every day when I pass that building. Oh, man. (laughs) The Truman Lodge. Well, hopefully someday you get to pass that building again. Yeah. I walk Penny past it sometimes. All right. Well, Money Penny. Right. Money Penny. That's her full name. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we got two more orders of business. One okay. is the rankings of all 16 movies, where my rankings. Oh, and, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you can agree list. or disagree with them. Um, but before we do that, why did Timothy Dalton leave? Why did they switch to Pierce Brosnan in 1995? I'm glad you asked, Zach. Um, so there was a long layoff in between uh, License to Kill and Goldeneye. There, there was a third Dalton movie planned. There was a script. They were ready to go close to ready to go into production like it was you know license to kill was one of if not the biggest financial disappointments of, in the series like it was not a big movie it came out in 1989 which if you just go on imdb and look at the movies that came out in the summer of 89 mm-hmm. it's insanely stacked with franchises right you've got like you've got batman obviously is the big one you've got lethal weapon 2 you've got ghostbusters 2 you've got indiana jones and the last crusade uh i think uh, there was a star trek in there there was like every week there was a major franchise coming out in the summer and bond kind of got lost in the shuffle like it was obviously like a different type of bond movie anyway and it just didn't connect so it had there was some bad luck and also just you know i think maybe they they misguessed what the audience wanted at the time um so it didn't make a lot of money uh they were still planning to do a third dalton but there were legal battles that prevented them from going into production for years and by the time they finally got things squared away it's 1994 so they're looking at a 1995 release date um and they they say it's one of those mutual things where like you know Dalton like Dalton was still signed on up until 1994 I believe and he kind of decided you know it's 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 going to it will have been 6 years I'm just going to I'm going to pass it on and I I think it was probably one of the, you know the producers wanted it that way too cuz Pierce Brosnan was finally freed up the guy they wanted originally so 
it's an opportunity for a fresh start after that long, you know, and especially coming off of um, what was not like a well-regarded movie at the time. So they really needed to like make it count. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the like the reviews for this movie that I've seen, like it doesn't have the highest rating on Letterboxd. Um, actually, both movies have 3.2 as their rating on Letterboxd. Huh. Um, and the box office for this off a $32 million budget was 156, 156 million. Oh, yeah. It's they're all hits, but yeah. like it's like comparative to the other movies. Right? Yeah, well, Living Daylight was 191. So it did drop mm-hmm. between these two. Um, and I also uh just looked up summer 1989, and the first article says, Was the 1989 summer the best movie summer ever? There you go. Uh, yeah, Last Crusade, Dead Poets Society, Star Trek Five, License to Kill, Ghostbusters Three, or Ghostbusters Two, three yeah. days later. Uh, Batman, The Next Weekend, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Do the Right Thing, Karate Kid 3, Weekend at Bernie's, Lethal Weapon 2, Peter Pan re-release, When Harry Met Sally. Um, then Huge, UH- huge year for movies. Yeah. UHF, which I don't think I would put that up there, but I guess that's uh, Jason hey, Takes Manhattan, Turner yeah, and back. Hooch, Parenthood, The Abyss, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, and then Uncle Buck closed out the summer. Insane. It's an insane year. I do think of Uncle Buck as like a Christmas movie. It's weird that Uncle Buck came. I mean, I guess it's, I don't know. It feels like a very wintry movie. It's weird it came out in August. Yeah. Happens. Mm -hmm. Die Hard was a summer movie, you know. Um, uh, And that is, well, speaking of summer summer movies, that is when the Bond movies make the switch also because they had been summer movies traditionally. And then License to Kill is the last time they did that. And from then on, they've always been, holiday releases mm. all the brosnans and all the craigs have been holiday releases and then uh this most of this new no time to die was going to be the the first one since then to break they were you know it was going to be a spring movie which is has never well hasn't happened in forever um so you want to know something else that's going to blow your mind blow roadhouse came out in 1989 so this movie couldn't have borrowed from roadhouse because that movie didn't come out wow so there was just something in the zeitgeist at that time about dive bars with like yes. crazy fights Big happening. Fights. Yeah. yeah. Wow. What, Maybe wait, they were borrowing from cocktail. I don't know. It was cocktail before cocktail was like, 85, uh, I, think. I feel like cocktail was like 87 or something. So maybe yeah. could be uh, right. Um, but yeah, so that um, Dalton kind of, it, I don't know how much is PR spin, how much is real, but they say it was kind of a mutual thing. They wanted to move on. He wanted to move on you know, Brosnan was ready. And so the Dalton era came to a close prematurely. So what, do you know anything about the movie they were thinking about making? Was it just going to be Goldeneye or was it something different? So there was, there's two, I think there was, there was a separate movie that was going to be the third Dalton movie that there was a script for. Um, I think it's out there somewhere. I don't really know that much about it, but uh, at some point they did, I think, scrap that. And then once the, um, once the rights issues, the legal battles were solved, they uh, an early version of Goldeneye had uh, Dalton in mind, mm-hmm. and it went through many rewrites before it finally came out. But um, yeah, there was a, a different Goldeneye initially in like you know ninety three or ninety four. Yeah, I do feel like it's going to be interesting to go to Goldeneye next. Um, a because I'm so familiar with it, but also it's just going to feel very modern. I think compared to like this feels very eighties. Mm-hmm. The Roger Moore f- stuff feels very old. Um, yeah. And I'll be curious to me, Goldeneye like is not that old of a movie, even though it's no. 
what because we remember it coming out right yeah but it's what uh 25 years old now Uh, yeah 26 yeah yeah that's it's crazy well to me it's like yeah to me it's like oh it's not that not that old but how it is no you're right well i'll remember you said that like yeah keep it keep that in mind for next time if you still think it's a modern seeming movie well Um, i feel like the internet exists in golden eye um it does yeah the internet is there um it's it's still like you know pre cgi like not the bond movies ever use a lot of cgi but it's you know it's kind of in that uh turning point Mm -hmm. between like I feel like an older movie and a modern film, but yeah. Uh, the other thing I'd be curious is: is Goldeneye the most famous James Bond movie? Because with our the, generation, yes. Because of the video game tie-in, also. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on who you ask. I think because if you're going to go by like pure box office, like if you look at like the adjusted for inflation box office numbers, you know, Thunderball is still way up on the list and it's like the the biggest bond movie of all time i believe still mm-hmm. um uh that and you know goldfinger were both huge hits and we're like that was like that was the peak bond era that was when bond was at his most popular was in the mid 60s but there's not that many people around still that you know remember that so you could be right i think eventually that may be the case um but then you've also got Skyfall, which made a billion dollars. So right. yeah, um, maybe at least until some of the Daniel Craig movies. It seems like maybe like every generation gets its like massive Bond hit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we will find out what the massive hit is for Brosnan next time. Um, but before we go, let me get my rankings. It's longer oh, yeah. to read these because I have 16 movies to go through now. So number 16, still, I only have two movies to fit in here. So it's not going to be that different from last time. But uh, Diamonds Are Forever, number 16. Still bottom of the barrel. Bottom of the barrel. Uh, there's one coming up that might be below it. We'll find out. Uh, Moonraker, number 15. Mm-hmm. Dr. No, number 14. Thunderball, number 13. Just Just talked about it. Um, I will say I liked all of these movies, except I feel like Times of Forever was the only one I kind of didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that had some redeeming stuff. I just think the rest of them are, are I think, are good movies. Right. Uh, number 12, Octopussy. Number 11, For Your Eyes Only. Number 10, A View to a Kill. Number nine, The Living Daylights. Number eight, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number seven, Live and Let Die. Number six, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number five, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number four, License to Kill. Number three, Goldfinger. Number two, From Russia with Love. And currently at number one, You Only Live Twice. Wow, that's uh, that's a bold statement about License to Kill, putting it over On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That's a... I just thought it was... Like it just, I know that the bond going after DEA agents is kind of small, small potatoes for him. No, that doesn't bother me. But I think that the revenge plot, the like rogue bond, um, the final, the final chase scene was really good. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was, I had very low expectations coming in too. I had had a friend who watched both of these uh both of these Dalton movies before I watched them and said oh these are rough these are so I weird. remember you mentioning that yeah yeah and so I was coming in thinking like okay yeah Dalton only lasted for two movies because he was terrible and the movies suck kind of the same way with Honor Majesty's Secret Service that I was like oh, oh you just assumed that it was the quality yeah. right yeah 
So. Well, I will say License to Kill is one of it's it's one of the most divisive Bond movies. Like it's there's people who love it and people that hate it. So mm. it's it's not a surprise that you would put it there. Um, one thing I'm going to mention real quick because I forgot to mention it earlier: License to Kill, uh, another like kind of. 80s trope of it i feel like is that it has a score by michael Kamen. so uh living daylights had the last john barry score john barry being you know who scored a lot of the bond movies and you know wrote the theme and was kind of the quintessential bond composer um that was his last bond picture and michael Kamen comes on just for one movie for license to kill and he's like kind of a quintessential 80s uh composer i feel like because he did you know the die hard uh score and he did the lethal weapon score uh with eric clapton so it's it it feels like you're listening to die hard or lethal weapon to me when you hear because he's got like mm -hmm. a very strong style it's like unmistakable um, the, i can't remember which one but one of these movies was very synthy um like the score like the the music was very synthy and i think it was uh might have been living daylights living daylights is a little is synthier they both have they both have it mm -hmm. but living daylights is definitely more on the synthy side yeah um at least for the theme like yeah. the aha theme uh yeah in terms of the score I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to think about it. Yeah. I just, I, I can't remember which one I felt that way about. Yeah. Um, also you brought up Die Hard. Uh, Robert Davi was in Die Hard as well. Well, you've got in License to Kill. I'm glad you mentioned that. You've got both Agent Johnsons. Oh, really? Who's, yeah. uh, who's the other one in License to Kill? It's, uh, oh, his name is escaping me. Uh, it is, hold on. Um, oh, I know his name. He's in, he's also, he's in Lethal Weapon two and one uh i'm leaving all the sense of people know that you had to actually think about no, something no edit it out <laughs> edit it out uh which um, character did he play do you remember i feel yeah so he's he's one of like felix's buddies i can't remember if he's a cia guy cia guy or dea guy but like he's the guy i remember that shows up after bond has like uh gone rogue and he's talking like about um you know he he has a talk with bond on the street and um he's trying to like he's trying to rein him in this guy's trying to rein bond in mm -hmm. who was and, who was robert davi in uh die hard he's agent John they're both agent johnson but who's agent johnson i don't remember who agent johnson they're the was. two fbi guys that show up to take over the investigation oh, from okay. the LAPD. So like yeah. they show up and they say, Agent Johnson, Special Agent Johnson, no relation. Oh, uh, okay. And they were both in this movie. Yes, they're both in this movie. Uh, it's going to bother me. if I, I know his name will come to me, but I'm just going to look it up. Yeah, the, the internet is a great way to find that. Grand L. Bush. Grand L. Bush. All Grand right. L. Bush. So who did Grand L. Bush play in License to Kill? In License to Kill, his character's name is Hawkins. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he's yeah. one of the American agents who um, is working with Felix. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's late. You've had some drinks. It's Friday night. Uh, one. So, yeah. Uh, you know, you you get one slip up. You are allowed one slip up. Um, don't expect my expertise when we start talking about Fast and the Furious. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't have as much tidbits as you do. Um, but uh, all right, old old buddy. Uh, why did you wait so long to podcast with me? Oh, uh, well, you know, there's, there's a pandemic happening and there's, there's kids running around my house all the time and, yeah. 
and also, you know, I just don't really enjoy it that much. So um, uh, you're supposed to say, why don't you wait till you asked? Oh, oh, why don't you? Oh, man. I think I butchered the line, but there's something along those lines. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Why don't you wait till you're asked? And I say, why don't you ask me? We could yeah. let's redo it. Yeah. Let's redo it. <laughs> again. Mac, why don't you wait till you were asked to be on this podcast? Uh, why don't you ask me? Yes. Which is basically what Brendan said. And we had to say, we did ask. We you. did ask you. We, we asked you twice. Ask you I, I think I asked twice. him on our podcast. I mentioned it. Uh, <laughs> I think it was a recorded. It's a test to see if he's listening. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we are not going to recast Mac between uh, now and GoldenEye. And there will not be a six-year wait or hopefully a six-month wait. We, we said it on the podcast. We said in February. So you have a month and seven days to find a night that, uh, although February is a short month. So um We'll figure it out because then we're gonna do we're gonna do Brosnan. I'm probably gonna start watching the Brosnan movies this weekend. Even um, do it. I I have a lot to say about the Pierce Brosnan run. Uh, yeah, I mean we we said before we started this we said oh this will probably be an hour and I I am guessing we're closing in on two at this point if I had to guess. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um. So we'll have a lot of movies to talk through on the next one. And what do we have? Five movies? Four movies? Four movies. Yeah. Four. Movies. Four. All right, so we got, let's see if I can name all. We got Goldeneye, Tomorrow mm-hmm. Never Dies, The World Is yep. Not Enough, and Die Another Day. Nailed it. Boom. In order. See, these ones I'm gonna these ones are gonna be a little bit better at. Um, and we'll see where those slot in. We'll be through 20 movies at that point. So we'll have a full top ten. Yeah, of 20 years and or 20 movies in 40 years. 20. Oh, did, did they yeah. market that a lot? I'm assuming they probably they did. did. Yeah, Die Another Day was the 40th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um yeah, that'll be that'll be fun to get to. So, all right. Any last tidbits, thoughts? Uh, hopefully, no time to die isn't delayed again between this and our next podcast. I mean, I yeah, I hope it. I hope it sticks with the fall, and I hope it. You know, it's safe for us to all go see it at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, I want. We need. You know, Daniel Craig's had a hell of a run. He needs to to go out with a bang. My uh, my biggest fear with this is that they're gonna just come to some streaming arrangement and be like, oh, actually, it's coming out like March first. And then I'm totally behind the eight ball and I have like a ton of movies to catch up on. Before I would have been worried about that up until they just pushed it yesterday. You know, yeah. like uh, I think they're, they're old fashioned folks at Eon and I think they want it to be in theaters and they put a lot of money into it. And uh, I think that, I think they'll stick with it. Yeah. But, Unfortunately, uh, these movies are hard to find streaming, but there are, I will find them or I will rent them. Yeah. Library them too. Yeah. Library. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us. Enjoy this song that is not by En Vogue. It's probably what I'm going to put as the outro to this. Although it might be just Bond theme. I don't know. I'll see what I put. It's, yeah. You it, will know. You know what I think bothers me about it is the part where they go, to kill. All right. Well, I'm, now I'm definitely putting it in uh, right at that to kill. It's a license to kill. And the backup singers go, to kill. Right. That's why it feels like an En Vogue song. It's like, don't let go. You know, it's like, yeah, that song. Exactly. that's what it reminds yeah. me of. Um, all right. Well, Pierce Brosnan coming up sometime in the next little bit here. And uh, thanks for joining us, Mac. Uh, anything you want to plug or say? Mm. Red Bubble store, your Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. Check out my Bernie memes on the internet. <laughs> Those are... <laughs> Now you've now you've really put this as a date. Now you've dated this podcast. Yeah, you know, right when we yeah, you know exactly the week that this was recorded. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. That's a great way. To end. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next month, hopefully. Yep. Later.
tried to 